Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year 2022. We welcome you all to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website is lifecoachdanamzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have our ninth episode of season four, a very special guest and author, Annette Marinaccio. Now, just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Annette, the floor is yours. Uh, Thank you so much, Dr. Dan, and thank you so much for having me. I feel very honored to to participate. Uh, So my name is Annette Marinaccio, as you said, and my um, uh, background is that I'm a CPA. I am a healthcare executive, and I live in New York, and I absolutely love what I do. Um, The interesting thing is that after my mother-in-law died, which was 2006, so after she died, Um, she was intent on proving to me that there was an afterlife. And that took a little bit for me to accept. Uh, It's not that I was skeptical per se, but I certainly had never thought about the afterlife before that. And I sort of uh, thought when you, when you die, you die. And that was it. And um, once she proved to me that, okay, I'm, I'm still here. (laughs) Then I was like, I don't even understand this. If we go on, then what is this life about? What, what are we doing here on earth? And so I spent about four years really entrenched and obsessed with everything metaphysical. So for a CPA, I really had to get my head around this whole topic and make sense of it. And uh, when I was done with that, I sort of felt very comfortable that I, I had a great handle on uh, life. I could leave my life in a different way. Um, I I sort of understood why we're here to a large extent. I understood enough about the afterlife to satisfy me. And I just sort of uh, kept that, you know, part of me aside. But as the universe would have it, um, I was placed in the path oftentimes after that in front of sort of people that would benefit from a piece of what I had learned. And so I found myself sort of going through that library I had accumulated in my brain and, and coming up with little tidbits of information that turned out to be very, very beneficial for people in their time of like need or grief or curiosity or whatever. And then I started having people say to me, oh, my goodness, you helped me so much, which for, um, you know, for a nurse or a doctor, they may used to that but for an accountant I'm not I wasn't really used to sort of changing people's life you know so um so they were like geez you really helped me so much you changed my life and then at one point I said I I think I'm really meant to put this into a digestible format so that everybody can just sort of understand what I know what I learned and that's what I did. So um, about a year ago, I wrote the book, Your Soul, Your Soul Focus. And the subtitle is You Believe in the Afterlife, Don't You? And um, it's done very, very well because it's a, it's a very practically written book. I mean, I, I'm an, a, you know, an accountant, so I, it sort of makes sense. Um, so it's a practically written book about a very elusive topic, which is, you know, spirit. And um, 
and it chronicles my journey. So sort of how I was able to get my head around the fact that we do go on. And then um, also more importantly, how it, how the afterlife pertains to our current life here. Um, and, you know, basically there are about, I, I would say 25 significant takeaways in the book that pertain to absolutely everybody's life, because I didn't want the book to just really be about my journey. I really wanted it to be almost um, a book that people, uh, and I've, I've heard people have told me they've done this, that people would highlight, oh, I never thought of this before. I, I want to I apply this to my life. Oh, I never thought of this before. So um and it's it's done that, so I'm I'm really just blessed to you know ha, have been able to sort of publish it. Wow! Now I'm sure that as a CPA, you save a lot of people headache from the IRS. So you have <laughs> every single day, and that's just in that aspect. But now, <laughs> but yeah, aspect of um, it is said that despite the physical death, consciousness remains, which means that. It, our, our soul kind of continue navigating before, I mean, in some religion, reincarnation exists, um, happens, they believe in it. Now, um, in the case of the signs that your mother-in-law gave you after her physical death, are these signs that a lot of other people who experience the same as you can at least provide some proof that this happened. Yeah, she's right. Like I, I know uh, before the, the podcast, you and I discussed about uh, a neurosurgeon, Evan Alexander, who had a near-death experience because he had a very severe meningitis infection and he was able to come back and he went on Oprah Winfrey and he talked about his journey. Now, what signs did your mother-in-law gave you to prove you that there is an afterlife? So, and, that, and this is very interesting because I've, I've read, in the time I was really entrenched in the metaphysical um, area, I read a lot of books. And when you read books about people who've had near-death experiences like Dr. Alexander, um, you end up thinking, oh my God, that's fascinating. But it's because it doesn't pertain directly to you, it's someone else's account. Okay. And so you sort of always question Hmm, I wonder how much of that is, you know, real or not or whatever. And I, I actually dedicated a part of my book to, to signs, I'll say, or messages from the other side, because what I tell everybody in my book is although you can sit around and wait for signs, what I learned is that you can also be very specific and ask for a specific sign. And if they can get you that sign within about 10 days, two weeks, it's almost a science, mm -hmm. they will. And so I'm gonna give you some examples of what happened after I wrote the book so that you can see and your listeners can see that it's not a matter of me just saying, this is what happened to me. I intentionally titled the book, Your Soul Focus, because I want this to be something that pertains to everybody living a more fulfilled life. And so in the book, I, I wrote, um, I have probably three or four specific signs that I asked for, because once I understood there was an afterlife, and once I started understanding more about it, there was a time where I decided, hmm, I think you can ask for something and be very, very specific, something that you can't discount. So um, I, I asked uh, my mother-in-law to show up on New Year's Eve, a specific day, New Year's Eve, 
and show me something. I said, it wasn't even specific, something that I couldn't deny. And her name was uh, Lucille. And what happened on New Year's Eve is I was sitting there and um, we were watching TV and the New Year's Eve special with my in-laws, the New Year's Eve special broke and the news came on. I guess it always comes on at 11 o'clock. I had not really realized it. And the reporter's name was Lucy or Lucille Wang or something like that. And so, so all of the TV was Lucille, Lucille, Lucille. And then there was an ad right after that with um, for a show that had an actress in it called Lucy Lou. <laughs> and they, I mean, they were just Lucille and Lucy and Lou all over. And I was like, oh my goodness. So that's when I started realizing, hmm, I asked her to show up at a specific time. What if I asked for a specific thing? And I started that too. I asked for specific things. I But you may not get um, exactly what you're thinking, but, but I asked her for an orange monarch butterfly, show me an orange, and it was, uh, in April that I asked for it and orange butterflies are not around in April. Um, but I asked for this specific sign and uh, uh, the next week I was reading the newspaper, the Sunday paper and the life section of the newspaper was all about gardens on Long Island, which is where I live. And the front page of it was this big orange monarch butterfly. So you, yeah, you, and I saved the paper because I was like, oh my gosh, because that's when I started realizing you can ask for specific things. So I want to give you this other example because it, it's just um, two examples. After I wrote the book, I, you know, I've had a lot of people because it's such a personal topic, reach out to me and say, you know, my goodness, you've helped so much, or I, this gave me a totally different perspective or whatever. And then one woman said that her mother died uh, in April of 20, uh, April of 2021, when I wrote the book, um, due to COVID. And when she read the book, she was, you know, absolutely distraught. She read my book, and she saw, saw about asking for the specific sign. So at her gravesite, she was asking her mother to show her a blue cameo, like a cameo pin. And she figured make it blue, make it really difficult, because I say in the book, be very specific. And um, about a week later, she's thumbing through a magazine and there's an ad for cameos and there are four cameos and one of them is blue. Now, I don't think I've ever seen a blue cameo in my life, let alone, you know, a week after she asks for it at the gravesite. But so she was like, so like, oh my God, my mother's really here. I was like, I know. And then another uh, woman reached out to me from the middle of the country, which I was just so flattered by this. And she said, I read your book and I want to let you know what happened. She said that, um, her brother had died 30 years prior and she was sitting with her 10 year old daughter and she told her 10 year old daughter about let's ask uncle I forget his name Jake yeah, uncle Jake for the sign the specific sign and so the daughter said I'd like to see Finn the cat and so her mother who's the one writing to me said who's Finn the cat and she said last summer, so almost a year ago, last summer, there was a cat that came in the backyard and um, grandma and I looked at her, his tag and it said Finn. And I'd love for, to see Finn the cat again. I haven't seen Finn. And um, her mother says to her, that's too specific a sign. Let's go with a cat that, that is Finn's color. What color was the cat? And so the little girl says orange and, and white. So, um, so they put it out to the universe. And the brother comes through in flying colors. That evening, the, the woman goes out to put her garbage out in the backyard. She hears a little meow from behind the garbage can. She moves the garbage can. There's an orange and white cat there. 
She oh. runs, the cat's not been in the backyard that the daughter has seen for 10 months. She runs in to get her 10 year old daughter and says, oh my goodness, look, the cat's there. They go, they look at the tag and it's Finn. So, you know, so you don't really have to just sort of wait for signs or read other people's accounts. You can get, ask for signs yourself. And the other thing is after I started um, becoming entrenched in the metaphysical, what I found is that I can't even say dozens, it must be thousands of people have their own personal accounts. They, they do. I mean, it was just antidote after antidote. It was like, and I asked for this, or I found this, or I saw this, or a cardinal landed on my shoulder. I couldn't get the cardinal to leave. Or, you know, a bird was on my head, I, the bird, you know, right after my mother died. There are so many accounts that people are having every single day where the other side is sending distinct signs that they have or haven't asked for that, you know, that's my story on, on signs. <laughs> so um, do you think there's a, a somewhat of a connection for those who actually hire people who can talk to the spirits after they passed? Is it something that is real? I mean, they ask question and they could hear something about what the spirit says and they could, and that person who, who is grieving for a uh, missing like relative, they say, yeah, that's true. This is the experience that we had uh, together. Is that something yeah. that is real or is it just, for them to be able to kind of ask specific question, extract the information that they need and make it believe they're actually talking to the spirits. Absolutely real. And I will say this because the, the whole, um, I guess, work or profession of mediumship has um, sometimes a, a, a negative connotation because there are some people who do exactly as you say, they ask questions and they like cold reading and then they grab information and right. they take advantage of the grieving people. But there are plenty that are absolutely real and on the money. And, um, and I, I have, I wrote it in the book, if there are, you know, a hundred mediums and 99 are fraudulent and one is real, just one. And you think, geez, that's so bad. You know, how could one out of a hundred be you know, the only, only one is real, but all you need is one that's real, because if it's for that one person and into your deceased loved one, then it doesn't matter that 99 are fraudulent. It means that your deceased loved one can get through to somebody. Yeah. So that one that is real is all that matters. Now, I will also say I, um, I volunteer and now serve on the board for an organization that I discovered when I started becoming aware of the afterlife. I met them in 2007. It's called Forever Family Foundation. And we have, uh, we actually certify mediums. They go through a, an intense certification process. So there are hundreds of mediums that apply and only a dozen or so that really make it through the certification process. So for sure, there are some people that are marginally skilled in that way or not skilled at all in that way and like to purport they are, but there are certainly enough very proficient mediums that I, I feel absolutely that um, their mediumship is, is real. Okay. And so would you believe those little games or tools like the Ouija board and all that? I know like a lot of people say that, hey, it may be real or there's something or some spirit talking to them through a board. Is that something that is just like made up or does do median? No, no, I think it's real. It's real. Okay. And but yeah, I would say I would say it's real because I'm sorry. 
Go ahead. No, no, it's it's really in which aspect? Because again, the, with all the quacks that's out there, they make it believe that this is a tool that is uh, that is a way for them to communicate with the afterlife. But for those who actually are real, is that a tool that they will use to be able to uh, talk to people? Or it's just like a, a game. No, of- no, they wouldn't. They don't need that tool or use that tool. And you're right for the uh, the, the um, fraudulent people out there. They may you know use that. It's real in the in the way that um, if you wanted to tap into a spirit, maybe not your particular spirit, he, uh, spirits can move things. So if they can, they will move that thing and they and they will spell things out for you. But a really good medium does not need a tool. It, I mean, they are they are the channel. The, the words come through them to you know to the sitter, and um, and it usually resonates a lot and and actually one of the first things that opened my eyes to this entire thing was through a medium i mean when a medium came when my mother-in-law was insistent on coming through a medium to me she was insistent i was um at a dinner and afraid to take the microphone when a woman came over to me that I, I was viewing it like a magic show, but she came over to me and she said, I have Lucille here. Now Lucille is my mother-in-law's name. It was on the money, but I was too afraid to take the microphone and I didn't take it. And um, she went on to say, I, I, it looks like she died of like a stomach cancer. My mother-in-law had died of pancreatic and it looks like she died of, of stomach cancer. And I was too afraid to take the microphone. So she retreated out. She gave up and started reading other people um, but came back because my mother-in-law was like, I'm not giving up. And so she, the, she came back to me or this, my area, I was sitting at a table. So my table, and she said, this woman is still here. If it's not Lucille, it's something with an L like Lou or, and, and she's got dark black hair, which my mother-in-law had. So finally I was like, Oh, all right, let me take the microphone. And then she, I proceeded to have a reading like you would see on TV where she read you know, there were evidential items that I could not refute that nobody else would know. And I was playing in my head like an accountant. How did I pay for this? You know, did I give them a credit card? Like what's going on? Did I say my name? I had made the reservations. I said a net party of three. I only said my first name. How does this woman know all of this? And um, by the end of that one evening, I was convinced that there may be something to this afterlife thing and that I had to do more research to be comfortable with it. Now, in your experience, uh, Annette, do those spirits on the afterlife can demonstrate their presence with some telekinetic powers, with some, you know, moving things around when you actually ask it to see if they are actually present during uh, whatever session with the medium? Um, is that something that you have tried to investigate a little bit further, or this is something that is, you know, over and beyond what your topic and content is all about? Well, that's interesting you say that because during the time I was trying to learn the metaphysical end of things, I was pretty intent. I've, I mean, in all my life, everything I've done, I've always been very intent and intention based or whatever. And so I was like intent that I was going to be able to see the other side. Um, you know, all mediums will say, uh, you know, it's not just something we have. Anybody has this ability. Everybody has this ability if you meditate and pray. And so, um, I actually for, I'm going to say over a year, 
I meditated and, and it wasn't like, um, you know, people say it's very hard to meditate. Your brain is thinking of so many other things. Um, I found it actually quite easy to meditate. I can get myself to nothing <laughs> fairly easily and sit there on nothing but breath or whatever. So it wasn't like I was having a problem thinking of all my grocery shopping I had to do or work things going on or the kids. Or, it, it, I was like at nothing for um, every day for over a year, just hoping to get a glimpse of the other side. And um, I never, never had a glimpse of the other side. So I do believe that there are facets of, of people that can achieve that, you know, ability, have that ability. But I think it ha probably has to do with how left or right brain oriented you are, because the left side's the analytical side, the right side's the creative. And I think I'm really, really entrenched in the left side. So I couldn't get myself to the other side, whereas I know other people who don't have the ability naturally, but once they start meditating, they get glimpses of the other side or deceased loved ones. And even though they would not consider themselves psychic or a medium. So I, I think though that um, it, it doesn't change the fact that, and maybe it added to the fact that I was, that I was able to put this book together and help people in a very different way. Because it's interesting, after I wrote the book, my uh, friend of mine said, geez, you know, um, your mother-in-law must have been such a strong individual. And I was like, you know, she wasn't that particularly strong. She was strong, but not, not that strong. And she said, well, you guys, the two of you must have been so close. And I was like, we were close. We we're definitely close, um, close and loving. But I wouldn't say that much closer to anybody else. You know, I don't know. And then she said, well, then why did she pick you to come through to? And I said, I don't know. And then she thought about it and she came back to me. And she goes, I know why, because she knew you would, you're so practical that you'd write a book. And I'm like, you know, something that's true. So even though I never had the ability to actually see and tap into the other side at will, like other people do, um, I think that's part of the reason that my book is, is different um, or helpful to ordinary people is because I'm, I'm an ordinary person and I don't really have that psychic ability yet. I was able to prove to myself that the afterlife exists and that um, you can tap into the other side when needed. And so to put that in like a practical format that other, that anybody can just digest, I think has been, uh, helpful. So I don't have that um, skill set, like you said, although I did try for it. Um, I don't really have that. But I think I think I was not meant to. Um, do you think um, and that that there's any not deadline necessarily, because it's, I'm not sure if it's the right word to use deadline. But the fact that after a certain period of time, you will not feel their presence. So let's say you, you mentioned about the, the uncle that was there for 30 years and you were able to still communicate and ask them what you're looking for. But is there after a while that it is going to stop? They will no longer be present. No, no, it's forever. forever. And I'll also say this, and this is a little bit mind blowing, which I, you know, this is my own belief. And I think even some spiritual people may not agree with it, but after a lot of research, it, I, it resonates with me. I think that our soul is very uh, complex and complicated and that we only take to earth the percent of our soul 
that we need to accomplish our purpose. Okay. So I believe even though, but we're born with these kind of dunce caps on. So we think that this is us, this, that of course, this is a hundred percent of me and my soul, but I, it's not, it's a hundred percent of your human body, but I think it's only the portion of your soul. So a portion of your soul is actually right now on the other side. still. you're still, oh. ah, yes. So it's like, I've heard, I'm not a science person, but when I've explained it to people who are science people, they say it's similar to, a, to string theory or quantum physics, but that your soul is multidimensional. Mm -hmm. So we hear, and, and that's where uh, ego comes in and ego has like a negative con connotation, sort of like I'm egotistical, but it really, it, in its purest form, it's not a negative thing at all. It's, it's just that um, it's sort of Einstein's theory of relativity. We can relate to only what we can relate to. And so egotistically, we can only relate to what's going on here because that's how we're purposefully born. We're born with sort of blinders on to the other side because if we did not have them, we'd be so distracted. We would never accomplish our purpose here. And so it, we think that this is us. This is, this is me, this is 100% me. And we can only sort of um, perceive or conceptualize us having 100% of our soul here. But I believe that's actually only a portion of our soul. And so there is still a portion of our soul on the other side, as well as souls of our departed. And so we will always be able to tap into them, whether we're on the other side or this side. It's interesting what you mentioned about the string, the string theory or M theory, which is the multiverse theory. Um, again, it is a theory because no one can actually prove that they're all multi-universes out there. We look at the universe like a bubble and the, what's out there, something that, again, we cannot even go further than our, our uh, galaxy, the Milky Way. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of people say, a lot of scientists say, well, Andromeda, which is the closest other galaxy or Sombrero, mm -hmm. which is the other galaxy very close to us, if they're close, and now with when we talk about dark energy, um, are they, I mean, the dark energy is what pulls the, the galaxies away from each other, but yet they're so close to each other, are they going to merge eventually? Because this is what happened with some galaxies. Now, if we look at the, what you mentioned about the left or uh, right side of the brain, the left is more like the, the logical side. The right is more the creative side. So does it mean that the left side could not, there's something in their mind that cannot really understand the, the fact that if you put yourself in a trance, like a meditative trance, can you really um, communicate with the outside world? Because maybe it's like your, your CPA, for you, it's numbers, for you, it's like more logical side. It's hard to really wrap your mind into believing that you can actually put yourself in a state where you could depart from your body and, and, you know, like navigate in the universe and see every, because, you know, some people have done out-of-body experiences. They could say what's on the other side of the world, what's happening right now. And then they come back into their, into their physical body and they could explain what they've seen. But then again, is that something real? Is that something that you could really fathom and really understand how that actually works? Because your brain is not set to be able to see things the, the same way that the right side of the brain can do. So how, yeah, how do you merge or how do you build a bridge between the right and the left side of the brain? Or can people actually do that? 
I think they can. There are all kinds of experiments out there with being able to um, sort of accentuate your right side brain waves if you're very left side oriented or the or the other way around, because I guess, you know, um, living a balanced life is probably a little bit easier for a lot of people than living all right or all left. Um, But, you know, it's interesting what you had mentioned about that telepathic situation. That reminds me of something that I don't have fully at my fingertips, but there was, um, I think it was in the 1950s, there was a, a United States government spy I think he was, and he basically was hired by the government, our government, United States, to telepathically, because he was psychic, go into uh, the Russian base where they were building planes and bombs and things Mm -hmm. and explain what they were doing. And he was able to do it. There's volumes and volumes of things that he was he was a a united states sitting in united states soil but he was able to go into that trance and could go to a specific place and tell the united states government what was going on over in russia in 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 particular how they're building things and and i remember reading that during the time i was trying to understand telepathy and metaphysics Mm -hmm. and i was like so fascinated by it. it was just amazing so yeah i think that people do some people just, you know, they have the ability easier than others. I sort of connect it to, um, uh, and I think I put this in the book too. It's like playing with a guitar. I think that, you know, if you gave me a guitar and you gave me uh, guitar lessons, um, after maybe 10 lessons, I could squeak out some horrible song that you <laughs> probably hate listening to, but, you know, you might call it a song, but you can take another person and you could give them a guitar, same guitar, same 10 lessons, and then they can play you a ballad that would bring you to tears. And so what's that about, right? And I think that's about, to some extent, your innate abilities. It's like in your, your DNA or what you're born with. And, and I think we're all here um, on earth with different strengths. And so for that person that can play uh, the guitar the way they do, that's a strength that they have and i for instance being left brain don't have on the flip side uh, you know i'm um, a healthcare executive and a cpa and i'm pretty good at what i do at my work i enjoy it and i'm pretty good at it and i don't know that the person playing the guitar if they were taking the same courses that i did to learn what i can apply now in my work life would they be able to do that probably not so everybody you know this melting pot of a universe we're all here with our own specific purpose and our own specific skip, uh, set of skills to achieve that purpose. It's, it's by design. It's not haphazard. And, um, and so I think some people have that ability. Some people, some people don't, but that's okay. And do you believe, um, Annette, that we all, as you mentioned, we all have a purpose in this life. We all have a mission. And those who passes away before the mission is accomplished, do you think they reincarnate into a body to be able to complete their mission? So that's a great question. Because you might think that people who die prematurely early um, die before they achieve their purpose. But that is absolutely not the case. I'll give you my analogy on that in a minute. But everybody 
achieves their purpose before they go back, except if somebody dies by suicide. And only in certain die by suicide cases. Sometimes if you die by suicide because you're terminally ill, um, that is viewed differently. You probably have achieved your purpose here. But if you die by suicide by accident, an accidental overdose, or you are really not in the right state of mind and you um, uh, die by suicide, then you may not have achieved your purpose here and you will want to come back and, um, and get it right next time. But in terms of people who die prematurely, because that is such a, um, such a difficult topic, especially for like a parent who's lost a child um, and you think how in the world can I ever go on? Um, I have this analogy that people, and I put it in the book and a lot of people, especially people who've lost children have reached out to me to say, I've never thought of it that way. Now that you've written it, it's, it makes sense to me based on my circumstances. And I, you know, I, I thank you for writing it. So this is my example. Let's say, uh, I, I have to start by saying, it's not about this side. Again, we're very ego driven because of these dunce caps we're born with because it's our only option. It's our only choice. It's by design so that we can complete our skill set here, but it's not about here. Here is a teeny, 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 tiny fraction of our soul's existence. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not that it's not about here, but it's way more about the other side. And so it's really important to us, our souls and our loved one's souls that we achieve our purpose here. We're all supposed to be achieving our purpose. And our purpose may not be huge and grand, like I'm going to be, you know, a very famous person and impact, you know, millions of people like um, the royalty in England or famous superstars. It may not be a grand purpose. It can be a very narrow purpose. And it can actually be a purpose that has nothing to do with you and has to do with somebody else. But at the end of the day, we all come here with a purpose. So we choose three things before we come here. We choose um, pretty much how we're going to be raised. So our, the family we're being born into. We choose our purpose and we choose how we're headed back. It can be like a freak accident in our 50s, long drawn out illness in our 70s. But we sort of choose those three things before we come here. We also travel in soul groups. Mm -hmm. And the um, objective, the game, is to try and raise the vibrational energy of your entire soul group. So raise your level of light. We're all light energy. So raise your level of light. And the soul groups have about, I'm going to say one to 200 souls in them. And you travel together in and out of reincarnations on earth and not, and even on the other side, just to sort of raise your vibrational energy. Now, let's say that in that soul group, there's someone that's maybe lagging behind a little bit. So the whole soul groups are ready to move up to another sort of layer of light, but there's one or two people that are just not there yet. Okay. So there can be a pact that one of the more light people in that soul group say to the, let's say two people that are a little bit lagging behind in their light power. And they say, listen, the three of us are going to go back to earth. The two of you are going to be my parent. I'm going to be born as your child. And at five years old, I'm going to die of leukemia. Wow. Okay. That's my purpose. Because you are going to have to live on earth where feelings are horribly intense, negative and positive, 
our feelings here are horribly intense. Our human emotions are horribly intense compared to what they are on the other side. And you'll have to hopefully live your earthly life getting past my death. But isn't that a curse? Isn't that a punishment? Because they lag behind. It's a gift. But you, you bring them back on, on earth for them to suffer. It's a gift. Because the only way to stretch your soul is to get through that. You, you basically fast track your growth. You fast track your growth. So now you're back on the other side and you've lived this very difficult life. But let, let's say you've lived through that, that horrible, horrible. I can't even say live through because you don't live through grief, but you live with it. You learn to live with it and you learn to live with it. And maybe you've even helped other people with their grief situations. Now you get back to the other side and it's like, high five. You've done what you're supposed to do. Now we can all move up our level of light because you, the human experience is the only place that you can fast track your soul's growth. Because on the other side, it really is all niceties. Mm -hmm. It's very positive. Your growth there is prayer, music, art. Those are the things that stretch your soul. Here, you have a real depth of wonderful positive feelings and a real depth of difficult feelings. And if you can learn to live your life with those difficult feelings, you will have stretched your soul in a greater way than is ever possible on the other side. Wow. And so somebody, that five-year-old will say, I will sacrifice, you know, myself for the soul group's greater good. And let's hope that you do, you know, you're a part of it. You're two less light souls. <laughs> and so when people say, I don't know why he died early or she died earlier, or, you know, they're grieving very, very often the, the parents say that the child and the child could be 25 years old, that the child had some, like that child was always a little bit special. They're always a little bit different. I'm not, I'm not totally shocked. They seem like an old soul. There's a, a many, many, many times parents will say that about deceased loved ones who died prematurely. So that's, the, that's an interesting thing about um, death. If you sort of say, uh, and again, ego has a bad connotation, but I'm going to take this human ego off. And I think even though I can only relate to what I can relate to, which is these four walls, but really it's not about these four walls. You open your mind to other possibilities, which help you to view what's going on in life on earth in a very, very different manner. When you think of a child dying as not a curse, yes. but a gift, a gift to stretch your soul, very different way to look at it but for parents who are actually going through this suffering and that it's very hard for them to grasp that perspective from a person that is not really dealing with the same pain and suffering as a as a parent who lost a five-year-old because of leukemia or because any other imagine it's St. Jude Hospital where they deal with the kids cancer Imagine how many parents are going through that pain and saying, well, we brought this kid to the world and now God wants to take it back. Now, is this kid as special because God wants this soul back and reincarnated into another physical body? 
or their mission or their purpose was so short-lived that how can someone just wrap their mind around it, especially the parents, to say in five years or in two years or in six months, they were able to accomplish their mission, if that was the case. Right. It's, it's very right. So how can anyone find your book, uh, Annette? Oh, so my book is uh, Your Soul Focus. I have it on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com um, and the paperback also. I also have it on Audible. Okay. Um, so my, my objective really wasn't, um, it's not a money-making thing. I have a wonderful job and I, I love my job. It was really more to get the word out. So once I made the money back that it cost me to put the book together, <laughs> I decided to spring for a narrator to put it on Audible. So it's a, I have it on Audible now. And um, I have a website, AnnetteMarinaccio.com. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, that is all the time that we have for today's episode. I do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule as a CPA to join us. And thank you so much for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you have all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season four of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with incredible stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. In our many long journeys in life, We feel at times that we want to quit, give up, feeling down and beat up by life. The key is not to quit. The worst moments are usually followed by the most beautiful silver linings. You have to stay strong. Remember to keep your head up and remain hopeful. If Thomas Edison had to quit on the light bulb, we might not experience his invention today. If other inventors out there would have given up on their ideas, chances are we won't be taking advantage of their technology or product today. They felt they were a reason to push and you should too. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.